0: recovery elevator episode 404
1: i've never regretted not drinking so there's never been a time i've woken up the next day and gone oh shit man i wish i really went to the wall last night that's never ever happened
2: uh like this yeah that should work mix down (laughs) yeah keep going yo yo mix down three four yo yo wiki wiki mix down there we go seven eight Wiki Wiki Mixed Down. Ties in
0: the house. I love it. Wiki Wiki Mixed Down. There
2: we go. Three, four. Wiki Wiki, Wiki Wiki.
0: Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill, and I'm so excited to be here with you today. On today's episode, we have Natasha. She's 43 years old from Vancouver and took her last drink on August 23rd, 2021. Great job, Natasha. Listeners, it's been a while since I've plugged this on the podcast, but I wrote a book called Alcohol is Shit, which has sold over 70,000 copies. And it's still in a couple bestseller categories on Amazon. I would recommend getting in on Audible because I've been told by many, it's like a six hour podcast episode. If you would like to pick it up, there is a link in the show notes. Thank you, Liz. And I wanna say thank you to all of our Cafe Ari chat hosts. You all do an amazing job. Now, before we get any further, let's hear from a fantastic sponsor, Exact Nature.
3: Exact Nature was founded by a father and son in addiction recovery. Exact Nature's all natural CBD products are specially formulated to help you face the exceptional challenges of recovery. And we are so grateful to have them as our sponsor. Beat your cravings with their detox blend. If you are interested in learning more, Head on over to exactnature.com and use the promo code RE20 to receive a 20% discount on your order. That is RE20 at exactnature.com.
0: Okay, let's get started. All right, today's intro is not about being right or choosing peace, but I wanted to give you a third installment with this as it's something I still struggle with, and I think all humans do. I went out for pizza the other night and I parked in a spot that said, Tarantino's Pizza Parking Only. No problem. I'm here for pizza. When I came out of the restaurant, there was a large green sticker on my window that said, if you park here again, you will be towed. It's the sticker where you need a razor blade, goo gone, and 15 minutes of your life to remove. Actually, there's still a residue on my window. I said, what the f***? I looked again and at the bottom of the sign, it said Tarantino's Pizza parking only for the delivery driver. Oops, I parked in the delivery driver spot. So while walking back into the pizza place, I was like, Paul, please don't do this. And thankfully listeners, I didn't. I saw there were a few customers in line and I walked right back out. I mean, what was I going to do? Yo, who put this green sticker on my window? And they would have said, uh, the delivery driver, there's a sign that said it's reserved for them. So listeners, I was wrong, yet I still wanted to be right. So these are the things that sometimes really get me. But hey, Paul, join the party. I think it's part of being human being. Okay, I want to talk to you about the order of healing when you quit drinking. I'll also put a time frame, more or less placeholders, for what you can expect. The healing... When we ditch the booze happens in the reverse order of the destruction. When we slide down the chasm of addiction, we are afflicted spiritually first as that connection becomes severed, then mentally, then the body fails. The body cannot keep up with the amount of poison entering the body and organs begin to fail, think liver and pancreas. So the healing happens in reverse. We heal physically, mentally, and then spiritually. It's a triage of sorts. Now I want to mention there's always overlap. You won't say, okay, I'm physically strong. Now let's work on the mind. In addition, the three will always be a work in progress. And good news here. You don't need to initiate the steps of this healing process. As long as you do the following, the intelligence of the body will take over. Here's what you got to do. Rough framework. Number one, ditch the booze. Number two, Fuel the body with healthy fuel, food that is alive, aka greens, veggies, fruits. And yes, I love my bison burgers, but try to cut down on the meat, at least for a bit. Number three, cut back on sugar and caffeine intake. Green light on the ice cream for the first 30 days, but try to cut back after that. Caffeine, go to one cup per day. This is mostly to help with relaxation and sleep. Number four, moderate movement. Walk, hike, jog, stretch, yoga, weights for 20 minutes, three times per week. Number five, here's the fun part, recovery. This could be AA. We have CAFE RE. This could be smart recovery, treatment, IOP, etc. Okay, on day one, when we ditch the booze, we begin healing physically. The cells in the back of your mouth and throat, the stomach, liver, and the pancreas are the first to say thank you. Let's talk weight. If you lose weight, then great, but there's also a chance you're going to gain weight. Beer, wine, and spirits are basically empty calories or the same as eating a moldy gummy worm. You may see your body expanding in the first 30 days alcohol-free, which is beautiful. That means there's more of you to love. And a book I recommend to help learn how to fuel your body properly is The All-Day Energy Diet by Yuri Elkheim. Link is in the show notes. Thank you, Liz. The physical restoration component of the healing takes anywhere from three to 12 months depending on how far you rode the shitstorm of addiction then begins the real fun stuff the mental work which begins anywhere around the six month mark and can last up to a year and a half to two years again this is always a work in progress as well so in active addiction internally there is chaos there is no coherence in the body and mind after we find our footing physically The brain seemingly is going to go haywire. Thoughts are going to go crazy. You won't naturally find yourself in the present moment, but this is the time to really focus at every task at hand. And as Patrick says, washing the dishes is the recovery work. A big part of the mental healing is letting the hypothalamus, the pituitary gland, and the adrenal access settle down. These three organs control the stress response. Cravings and moments where you're triggered begin to smooth out once this stress mechanism comes back down to earth The mind and body will thank you for getting off the roller coaster of emotions and rock bottoms Those are very stressful and wreck havoc on our inner peace At the tail end of the mental healing is when something neat happens. In fact, it's extraordinary This is when we have the capacity to recognize we are not the thoughts or the emotions, but we are the one who experiences them Or as Eckhart Tolle says, life is the dancer and we are the dance, and we can recognize this. Now, this is the bridge to the spirituality component of our healing, which for me happened around the 3.5 year mark. Now, for all you atheists out there, this doesn't mean you're meeting God, but for some it definitely could. As the Swiss 20th century analytical psychologist Carl Jung says, we enter a spiritual dimension when we begin experiencing synchronicities in life or we almost see the breadcrumbs confirming we are on the right path. Jung was a firm believer that there are no such things as coincidences and everything is connected or interdependent. He says things are connected both in the physical and the dream world. According to Jung, this metaphysical state of living occurs when we are in balance, when we are in a healthy dance with time and congruent with the natural flow of life. This is when those seemingly synchronistic events take place. They are quite powerful to be honest and they make you feel connected to something without a doubt now to be fair i did experience these synchronistic events before quitting drinking but it was like once every couple of years and nowadays it's weekly and sometimes daily one reason why we heal spiritually last is because it helps to make this connection in times of repose sitting meditating or focusing on the breath i don't know about you But there was zero percent chance i was sitting in lotus position to connect with a higher power within my first two to six months away from alcohol the nervous system was just too ramped up i couldn't do it you know probably i couldn't do it for the first two years meditating for me at first was absolutely brutal but as i progressed i began to enjoy it and with some meditations i would feel euphoria creep up in all parts of my body And I think once, the best way to describe it, what happened was some sort of astral travel. (laughs) I know that sounds strange. There is a concept to describe this, which is called PAWS, P-A-W-S, short for Post-Acute Withdrawal Symptoms, not Syndrome. This is when your body, mind, heart, organs, and soul start recalibrating. They're finding a new homeostasis. Please don't hit the eject button if you have a rough day or 20 after chaos, calm is always on the horizon. This is a universal law. Pause lasts anywhere from three months to a year or two. Yes, it can be uncomfortable, but much preferable to the perilous road of addiction. Listeners, I hope this intro is gonna help you ditch the booze or deep in with that decision. And now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp, before we hear from Natasha.
3: When we begin this journey of healing and sobriety, Questions come up constantly and not knowing is a very hard place to be. For me, being in the unknown is a real challenge. I wanna know the answers. I want to know what will happen. I wanna know. Wouldn't it be nice to have a manual? I know it would. Therapists are trained to help you figure out the cause of challenging emotions and learn productive coping skills. They basically assist in creating your own personalized manual, your tool belt. BetterHelp has connected over 3 million people with licensed therapists. It's convenient and accessible anywhere. 100% online, plus it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save ten percent off your first month at BetterHelp.com/elevator. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com/elevator.
2: Thank you, Paul, for the intro and in Recovery Elevator. Please help me welcome Natasha. Natasha, how are you today?
1: I'm doing well. Thank you. How about yourself?
2: I'm doing really well. Thank you for agreeing to come on the show. Uh, I'm excited to have you. Can you let listeners know how long you've been sober?
1: Sure. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I just last month celebrated one year. So, August 24th, 2021, was my quit date. So I'm, uh, I guess, 11 months and 12 days, something like that, or 13 months, sorry, and 12 days, something like that.
2: That's amazing. A year. Congratulations. How does it feel? Thank you.
1: Amazing. Unbelievable. Amazing. Yeah. Very excited. That's
2: good. Did you do anything to celebrate?
1: I did actually, um, kind of unexpected, but my family got really involved. They helped. They gave me my twelve year chip that I accepted. There was a cake involved. There was dinners. And I kind of celebrated a week before um because I had turned forty. And so, I tested myself and uh went on a, a girls trip to Nashville for my 40th and oh. celebrated sober there. So that was that was my big celebration.
2: That's awesome.
1: Yeah.
2: And that's what Nashville is such a cool city to take in. And I loved it. Yeah. And to be able to to kind of test out your sobriety on like mm-hmm. a milestone birthday. And I love that you got your family involved too. That has that's turned into a thing for, for me and my family as well. And like we all went through the the garbage of it together. So to be able to celebrate it together too, I think is awesome. So
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for sure. And, and on that end of it, you start to hear a little bit um, more of maybe what you didn't see when you were actively drinking and the hurt that you caused. And it's like, Oh, so it's really nice to be on the other side of it and not have them worried anymore and celebrating with you. That's, that's probably one of the greatest gifts, but I'm sure we're going to dig into that.
2: (laughs) Well, That's beautiful. Again, nice job. Before we start in with your story, can you tell listeners a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what you do for a living, uh, family, things like that. And most importantly, what do you like to do for fun?
1: Yeah. So uh, Natasha, Vancouver, BC, Canada, um, as I mentioned, just turned 40. I have a soon to be 21 year old. So I, I started started young. He's, he's an amazing kid, doing really well, has a fantastic job. Did all the things I didn't do, went to, you know, college right after high school and and uh doing fantastic. So very thankful and lucky there. And what I do is sales, a long history of sales, but I've landed myself in the sort of medical field in outside sales for several years now. So big into um, yeah, you know, the outside sales gig, lots of travel, lots of conventions, things like that.
2: Yeah, okay. and the the ever important question, Natasha. What do you like to do for fun?
1: Right. Well, you know, not not a whole lot. I haven't changed my lifestyle too too much. I still really enjoy hanging out with a lot of my same crew that you know carry on the same way that they did. So I just find I I leave events a little bit earlier. So those girls' lunches and dinners and things that uh, I used to stick around to the bitter end, I I exit are those but enjoy those equally as much as I used to. But I love uh I love weird things, you know, I'm pretty into bingo, believe it or not. My mom <laughs> used to take me when I was young. So a big night for me now is when I get to hit the bingo hall uninterrupted. So love that. Love to travel, uh, love hiking. I have a well, a puppy, but he just turned two. So we hike and watch or walk as much as we can, trying to get back into fitness. I I got sick with COVID a few months ago, and it just took a round out of my lungs. So I've been in a slow recovery to get back up to fitness. But anything outdoors is is where you'll find me, definitely.
2: Combine hiking and bingo. What a yeah, day! Right? What a day you would have. <laughs> I love it. when you, when you said funny. something weird. I was like, "Oh shit, where are we going to go?"
1: Yeah, I, I no it's bingo. That, it, it is. It, it. it is funny because you look around and like, you know, it's just these like basically smokers for, I don't know, seven years sitting around and you're like, what am I doing here? But I, for me, it's such a peaceful, like all you focus on is those numbers for a couple hours and it's calming, but it's pretty Uh, funny. I'm, I'm definitely the youngest there and that feels good.
2: A little (laughs) shot of vitality and just unimportant question. What what kind of puppy and what's the puppy's name?
1: (laughs) A golden retriever. And uh, he's a big guy. He's 108 pounds. And his name is Vetter, named after I'm a big Pearl Jam fan. So Eddie Vetter. And we have a river that runs through BC that my son fishes pretty heavily, and that is the Vetter River. So we kind of it was a win-win for us both.
2: I like it. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Well, here we are. Let's talk about how we got to today. Natasha, uh, let's talk about your relationship with alcohol. Maybe tell us tell us how it started, maybe your introduction to it and Uh, We'll work our way forward.
1: Sure, sure. So I feel like I have a little bit of a different story in the sense of when, when I started drinking and what it initially felt like for me. I had my son when I was 19 turning 20, and I never drank, aside from, like, you know, my mom and dad, they were always... I would consider them normal drinkers, but they were very social. They always had friends over, they were always having drinks on the weekends, and I would always be around and things like my birthday, you know, from like 1617, it'd be like, do you want to have a beer? And they'd sit a beer in front of me. And that was a big like, you get to have a drink. I never really did. Like, mm-hmm. I just didn't care to drink. And so I, I just, I, I was the kid in high school, I'd go to parties, and I was actually afraid of it. Like I would, I b- b- looking back, I think God how stupid I must have looked. But I would almost pretend to be drunk, I would I would dump out beers, and yeah. I would fill them with water, just so I fit in. And I was part of it. But I was too terrified to actually drink and have the feeling of being drunk, but I wanted to fit in. So, you know, I'd get stumbly in my walk and try to act the way these drunks were acting and, and thinking it was cool at the time. And the first time I actually drank was after I was legal drinking age here is 19. I was, um, i had had my son, he was like six months old and we went to a Tim McGraw concert. And I think I had like six beer in the limo and I was sicker than a dog, like sick, mm-hmm. vomited like outside the limo, horrible experience. Didn't want to rush back to that anytime soon. And, you know, really didn't drink a whole lot besides maybe I don't know, you know, a beer here and there for many, many years. It wasn't until I was getting closer to 30. Um, I was in the restaurant industry and I was a server and, uh, it was what we did. We sat down after work and, you know, had drinks with my serving, my, my friends and my team. And it was a real social, social world, of course. And so it started with, having a couple of drinks and then graduated a couple of beers and then graduated onto wine where I felt really refined and quite, you know, um, you only started drinking wine when you were older and more sophisticated and a started
2: elevated
1: to, huh? Well, yeah, like really bougie. And um so started to get into wine. and you know, it's really tough. I think about this a lot. It's really tough for me to put my finger on when it was fun and social and when it wasn't. Because it felt like everything was fine for a very long time. And uh, I would have wine with the girls and, you know, wine at dinner and everything seemed fine. Nothing seemed to be affecting my life. And then it was, I'd say from about 35 till I stopped. So about four years, me really looking at my drinking and, and knowing that I was drinking more than I wanted to. And uh, knowing I didn't want to be drinking as much as I was but continuing to do it and realizing like this may be a problem. So um, yeah, I was a late, I would say I was a late bloomer with my drinking. Yeah.
2: As you like shifted to wine and shifted, shifted drinking, when you were in this food service world, was there anything that, that happened, you know, you had mentioned the concert like early on, but as it became more of a like regular part of part of your life, were there, were there things that happened that might've been indicators that there was that shift from like, quote unquote, like normal usage or, or what we interpret other people are doing, um, between their behavior and yours.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there was. So relationship I was in for a long time, alcohol was a pretty heavy part of it. And my social circle was, I mean, we just, that's what everybody did. We just drank. If we were going for a pedicure, my friends were like, you know, let's let's fill up a thermos and have wine with us for a pedicure. There just wasn't anything that didn't involve alcohol. So yeah. really heavy friend drinking group where it was just completely socially acceptable. There was, you wouldn't think twice about starting drinking during the day and going till nine and bragging about it, actually, how much you had consumed. And that was that was what we did. And my relationship was really unhealthy. And a lot of that was fueled by by booze. And it it became a really unhappy household and i think i used that for a long time um as an excuse you know i found myself being home a lot and the truth was as i was drinking as much as he was but he seemed to be able to go out and function better than i could because i would drink so much that as the night would be coming if, if i knew we were doing something that night i would typically be the one starting to drink i'd almost miss the dinner and i'd be sleeping by nine o'clock whereas he was able to carry on and you know, yeah. drink, drink till the wee hours. Um, but what that really did was put me alone a lot and give me a lot of resentments. And I mean, at the time, if you would have asked me, I'd blame every all my drinking on that. Looking back, I have a very different outlook on it. But yeah, my relationship was was unhealthy. It it had become toxic. And that uh, that attributed it a lot to my drinking and, um, just my, yeah, my friend, my friend circle. That's the big thing. I mean, I had to change a lot of that. That was, that was really the main thing was my, my social circle.
2: Yeah. It's, it's hard that we have this, I think a lot of us find ourselves with this confirmation bias and, and whether that happens organically or, or we seek it out. But I know I certainly. Surrounded myself with people or put myself in situations that would that would normalize my drinking or or make it where it wouldn't stand out but I, I know for me a lot of that too is just that's just what was seen that's not the comparison of like the shit shows after I came home either <laughs> but,
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then you know even further to that was was my career and and the career I still have today is that that was one of my biggest fears of about the idea of not drinking is. It is too, although I'm not in the service industry anymore. I'm taking doctors out Mm -hmm. and I'm a big part of that is socializing. And you do sit around and you're buying dinners and you're buying drinks. And that became a huge part of it as well. The conventions, I mean, you know, our work trips, you get, you get 200 salespeople and they're taking you to the Bahamas and all this on work trips that were, I mean, they were, they were a party and it was encouraged. So it was tough to identify that there was a problem there because your circle. That's, that's what's happening in work and, and everything just, it was just around and it felt very normal.
2: Yeah. I've heard, I think we've had, I think we've had many like both service, service industry people and, uh, salespeople on the podcast. And, and, uh, it's been a long time since I've been in the service industry, never done sales, but like you see it, that it's, that that's a huge part of that culture.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: What is that? How has that been to navigate over the last? Uh, year and change?
1: Well, I, what I've, what I found out is that none of my fears came true that I had. I thought, how am I ever going to take clients out? Am I going to be funny? I pride myself on having a pretty good sense of humor and, you know, being able to really be a chameleon and, and adapt to whoever I'm with and, you know, I'm a salesperson. That's what I do. And but alcohol was always i fi- I figured so helpful in that. it loosened me up, and it made people like me more, and it made mm-hmm. me funnier and it made me more outgoing. And none of that is true. None of that was true. I am so much more engaged in what I'm doing now. My relationships are when I meet my clients and I take them out, I'm so much more invested in what we're talking about. I know that my clients are getting more from me than I was ever able to offer before. And I'm learning and I've, and I've learned quite quickly that I just don't need alcohol to make me funnier. In fact, it made me an idiot. It made me inappropriate. A lot of the things I thought I was so hilarious where it's like, Natasha, give your head a shake. Like you're not that, that, that's not appropriate, but it seemed to be at the time. And I, I cringe now a lot of times thinking about what those dinners were and, And yeah, now it's, it, you know, it's business as usual, but it's meaningful and I'm present and I drive myself there and I drive myself home and I don't worry about, you know, waking up the next day and going oh shoot, how did that go rough? Did I say something (laughs) wrong? Like it's, I wake up and I'm like, I'm productive. Okay. Recap how my night went. Go ahead with my day. It's just so freeing.
2: Yeah. I just listened, uh I saw it was I don't know, I was like dumb scrolling through Instagram and there was a mm-hmm. Joe Rogan clip and lo- like love the guy or hate the guy, but he was talking about alcohol and and this particular clip, he gosh, was it him? I think it was him. I should check my reference. Anyway, but he they were who whoever it was was talking about how like alcohol does not like it doesn't make us more brave. It was exactly what you said, like it it makes us stupid.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I think we try to convince ourselves that that plays out as like bravery or as this social lubricant, but for a lot of us, it gets to that point where it's becomes dangerous and we make, you know, whether we're making a fool of ourselves or doing other dangerous things or making poor choices. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, like that's, I I think you nailed it. It's, it doesn't make us smarter or more social. It's, I think it's dumbing us down. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And it's a society thing. It really is. Like that is the message that's out there. Liquid courage. Mm-hmm. I believe it. everybody does. It, it, it's all, it's all society. It's all marketing and it's all false. It, it that's the piece that makes me irate actually <laughs> yeah. is, you know, you just, I just wish that you could reach to everybody. And, you know, it's like these big tobacco companies and things. It's like, you want to reach to people and be like, it's, it's lies. We're being fed lies. You don't yeah. need this. It's not true.
2: <laughs> yeah you're you're absolutely right and we we believe it we believe it on such a such a core level and especially i think when when we become dependent whether you're an alcoholic or if you if you want to use that term like wherever you are on the spectrum but if if you're a any sort of a user of alcohol it we just feel like it's this thing that we have to do and for whatever reason like the world has gone to make us feel like like we're weird or like there's something wrong with us with us if we're making that choice not to. I love that that by people like you coming on here, like we we're we're changing that narrative, maybe yeah. maybe slowly, but I I do believe that we're moving that needle and, and people are people are becoming more equipped to make that decision to step away or to reevaluate that relationship. Now I think it's easier now than it's than it has been in the past and, and hopefully we can keep that momentum going.
1: For sure. For sure, and that that was a big reason for expressing interest and wanting to do this. And I actually went public on my personal Facebook page because I belong to a few online communities, including RA Cafe, and you know, so it was I was out there talking about it. But when it became on my one year um, sobriety, I went public with it, and it certainly wasn't um, looking for anybody to go. Congratulations! Although I got a lot of that, and, and I was deserving of that, I was I was really proud of myself. It was more like Putting it out there because I know people are. My friends and and my community has been seeing like my Nashville trip, and I had gone to Vegas, and life is carrying on for me as usual. And I'm sure that you know that post got a lot of likes and a lot of comments. And I'm sure there was more than half of them going, "What? <laughs> you have stopped drinking?" Because you you'd never think it. Like my life didn't. My life didn't really change. It didn't get boring. It didn't. I didn't hermit it, And I did for a while, but. It was it was really important for me to be like, look, you know, my life is better. My life has greatly improved. And that was the message that I wanted to uh, put out there.
2: I love that. And I say like kudos to you. I remember how terrified I was. Did mm-hmm. like did you did you feel a bit of that too?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't think I've ever refreshed my page. So <laughs> And it was like, I was getting post-traumatic stress. You'd hear the ding of another notification. And it, uh, yeah, it was, it was really scary for
2: sure. Yeah. I, gosh, what was, I, I want to say it was like 460 days when I did it. And, and it sticks with me. Uh, mm-hmm. It was somewhere in there and I, I did it and I belabored over what I had written and I sat on it for like three days. And then finally I'm like, all right, this is it. And uh, I called like, as soon as I did it, I called a friend and I said, I just did this and I'm scared. And he told me, he goes, the, how did he say? He goes, the saber tooth tiger is not real. Nothing is coming to attack you. Nothing is going to kill you. This is just fear and you can observe it. And he goes, just watch what happens. And it was, uh, it was the same as what you'd said. I, I was met with a lot of love and support and encouragement. And, and I don't, you know, like not everybody has to do that, but I think it's important that some of us do because there's people out there who are, who are still suffering. We just uh we lost a community member this week to alcohol and yeah it's it's there's people out there who are still going through it and i think again this is this like this isn't to push anybody who's like oh should i post on facebook or not but i, I just i think that's beautiful that you did because i got to believe that somebody's gonna look at that post and just be like well, you know what like she's doing it like maybe i can too like maybe there's some similarities or somebody who's going to listen to your story on here is going to be like yeah i kind of have a similar a similar tale. And if, if Natasha from Vancouver can do it, then I don't know, maybe I give it a shot or yeah. try one more time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You're exactly right, Chris. And that's, that's, that's the main reason I did it. I, and it it, this, it, it, there's a neat quick story and I'll make it quick, but it circles back to recovery elevator because I had gotten a couple DUIs I'd had two, and I, I'm sure you're going to maybe dig into this, but I had had two. so there'd been some, there'd been some not so great things that had happened but they weren't what got me sober or really made me think i had to get sober either that was like oh i shouldn't have been at that place i know the cops are always there yeah. shitty i won't go there again because was, i was, it was, never not really I was big, drinking
2: it was just yeah. like the weird alignment of other things
1: them, like they didn't use the same or they used the same breathalyzer twice so like that got thrown out and that cop ended up getting reprimanded so like now i was really winning like it was ridiculous so it wasn't it wasn't what got me sober but of course it was you know I was starting to think oh geez this isn't going well and a girlfriend of mine had posted on Facebook after a year of sobriety and it blew my mind it, it blew my mind that she was sober because I just didn't I first of all the fact that she had a problem with alcohol I had no idea she has you know competitive lacrosse kids she's beautiful she's fit she's always running like life on the outside was just so like amazing. And here she was with this vulnerable post to go, I was drinking too much and I quit Mm -hmm. and I'm so proud in a year. And I messaged her immediately. And I reflected back on that. We've talked privately a little bit and she was like, listen to these podcasts. And she got me listening to Recovery Elevator. That was a start for me. And I used to go for walks and listen to it. And I tossed the idea around for a few months of like quitting. And I went to her when I was like a week sober. And I said, you know, you're a big part of the reason why I I had cur like, you opened my eyes that, like, I need to do something. You did something. You were normal. You weren't living. You weren't drinking out of a paper bag under the footbridge. You know, you held a job. You had your shit together and were functioning, mother. You were normal. And you had a problem. That's how I felt. I didn't feel like I was in the dumps. I wasn't losing everything I had. I wasn't. I wasn't at that point. But, and neither was she, but she had you know, she, she knew she was drinking too much. It was affecting her life negatively. And she did something about it. for me, that was like huge eye opener. That's, that's really what kicked me into gear. And so it was a really special moment when I hit my one year, because I sent her, I sent her the post first to make sure she was okay with it. Cause I didn't say her name, but I wrote that at the bottom. And I just said, somebody did this a year ago and it affected me. And if there's anybody that, you know, not that I can help. I mean, I'm, I'm so new in sobriety myself. I, but I'm happy to share my tools and I'm happy to share my story. And my God, if it, if somebody, and it has the amount of people that reached out to me going, man, I'm there. Like, you know, it's, it's amazing. That's, that's what I wanted. So.
2: I love it. I love it so much. That's, that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing is because we just, we know, we know there's someone today listening today. Who's, who's in that spot. And who's Mm -hmm. just like, shit, I'm going to, let me try one more episode. And yeah, like to that listener, I just want to say like, stick with it. That's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for, for many of us, it's not that light switch. Sometimes it's a, a gradient or there's, there's steps or there's starts and stops, but you can do it and, and just keep going.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you just, yeah, you can't really imagine what that gift is on the other side either. You really, yeah, it's it's one of those things that you couldn't, you couldn't pay me to feel like I did in those days. Today. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, let's talk about, you know, your, your 13 ish months. Let's talk about yeah. the last year. Was there a, was there like a, a specific event that led up to that, that, that last day one and, and let's talk about that, you know, like that, that first week or so.
1: Yeah. So there wasn't really a specific event per se. I had been on a girl's weekend trip. We went up to Whistler Middle of summer. I mean, it was it was pretty boozy, but that wasn't really out of the ordinary. Um, we went pretty hard Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Sunday, I felt like crap, like I typically did, you know, after a big weekend away. But I had really been starting to feel like I was drinking too much. People were starting to mention it to me. My mom was starting to be concerned. My really good friends that you know still drink, but they are the normal drinkers, <laughs> were really starting to notice it in me and saying things to me. And, you know, it's funny because I say I didn't really think I had that much of a problem, but I had treatment centers calling me because when I was intoxicated and, you know, the late hours of the night, I was calling them and my mental health was suffering so, so badly that I was reaching out to them, cry for help and to the point where they were checking up on me. So it would be a few days later and have like treatment center. what the answer sort of like, well, just are you OK? And I'm, like, I'm fine. Like, oh, God, I called the treatment center. Like I got some like some. I'm out of it here. Like I'm losing control. So that, that felt like it was in a six months period. It really does to me, I could be wrong, but that's just how it feels. Like it was the last six months of me drinking where people were noticing. And I was in this awful state and I was starting to drink earlier in the day, which was, mm-hmm. yeah, I was hiding, I was hiding wine in my coffee cup. I worked from home. I was Zoom. It was COVID. It made sense. And yeah. to me it was like, nobody knew, but they did.
2: Yeah. That, um, I th- feel like that line slowly, isn't that crazy? How like that, Like what we accept slowly moves and it just becomes normal and we just find a way to rationalize it. It's -hmm. fine. It's fine. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so this girl's trip for me, I, I'd come home, I was hungover. I went to the dog park that night and with a friend and of course we picked up four wine coolers because you need that at the dog park. And I had one of them and I had a couple left I'd gone to bed that night and I woke up and it was about 5am that I woke up and I came downstairs and I said like and I was shaking I'd had a weekend of you know 72 hours of pretty hard drinking with the girls regrets all that you know can't really remember everything's foggy anxiety anxiety terrible and I came downstairs and I remember before I went to bed I was like you're not drinking tomorrow which I had said a thousand times And I woke up and I came downstairs and I walked to my fridge and I had that, I looked at that wine cooler and I was like, I'm just going to have one wine cooler just to get the shakes out of me and kind of calm down before my partner woke up and like, just kind of get my shit together. It was a Monday I had to work. So that seemed pretty normal, right? Have a drink, calm my nerves and get to work. (laughs) And I don't know what it was, Chris. It just I sat there and I had a sip of that and I got up and I walked to the sink and I dumped it out and I was like, I'm done. And I just, I meant it. I went upstairs and I said to my partner, I'm done. And he was going kind of probably, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he was supportive, but I'd said that before. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what was different. I was just done. And I immediately came downstairs and I I Googled, how do you stop drinking? <laughs> Simple as that. And I stumbled on an AA, Zoom. And that's that's where I started. So I didn't, I wasn't familiar with, any type of support groups. I didn't know anybody who had gone through them. I knew nothing about it. And um, I went to one of those and I heard people sharing. And I'm at first, if I'm being honest, I, you know, for an ego thing for me, it was like, whoa, they're real bad. Oh (laughs) my God, they did that. And so there was this part of it where you get to hear other people's stories and, you know, reassure myself how I really wasn't that bad. But in short order, it was, um, man, these people are just like me. I'm not alone here this is normal how I'm feeling. And I became, I, I joined kind of a little group and I went every day and I did 90 and 90 and I never missed one. And I didn't want to disappoint them. I didn't want to disappoint myself. And it was, that was absolutely what I attribute to my early sobriety for sure was that group connection. And, um, you know, taking what you, what helped me in leaving the rest behind because there's, yeah. there's a lot of people that don't love the programs. And, and I know why, I, I understand why. But, you know, for me, it was get what I need out of that and leave the rest and have that accountability and that group around me of support. So, yeah, it was there wasn't a real bad, bad story. There was many bad stories that led up to it. And I don't know that day, but it was call it a God shot. Call it what you will. It was I was done and uh, I've never looked back. And sorry, if you asked about the first week, that was hell. Yeah, that's <laughs> but,
2: sometimes that's the it, honest. It's it's not always great.
1: <laughs> no, no, it wasn't, and it wasn't really physically. I mean, I wasn't at a point where I had too bad of really physical withdrawals. But for the first couple months, I mean, I found it really tough. I I found it really tough to do anything. I felt not social. I I felt like I wasn't funny. I felt like I was different than everybody. I was angry at the world. I was mad at everybody that did drink and could drink. It, it was really dark days in the beginning.
2: You know, you had mentioned it. You mentioned it earlier that 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 you that you weren't that you haven't necessarily been a hermit your first year, but you said, well, maybe a little bit. So, I'm assuming there was a little bit of like protecting yourself before you reintroduce yourself to like a little bit of a social life or 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 getting out.
1: Absolutely, and and actually, yeah, I should clarify that a little bit because I'm I now enjoy being alone much more than I ever used to so i I used to be quite social and always out and about and in the mix of things. And I really enjoy being alone now. I'm so comfortable on my own. I enjoy that quiet time. i I really, really enjoy it. So for me, i I've become more of a hermit in general, um, <laughs> but by choice because I simply i I enjoy kicking back and relaxing and picking up a book and you know, making sure my home is clean and my environment is comfortable, and all those things matter to me so much more than they used to. In fact, there I set time for them. I I set really healthy boundaries now that I I make sure I have that time for myself. Whereas before, I was I felt like I was when I look back, it was just I was living chaos. It was here, there, everywhere, something always going on, and I get tired thinking about trying to keep up with that today. <laughs> just, yeah,
2: a lot of times that busyness can be can be a distraction. You know, with the, with like that, the, the alone time that you mentioned, it makes me think of like the, like this difference between like solitude and isolation. And I think I found some of that too. Like it's, but it's before my alone time, it was always, it was that isolation because I didn't want to be around people because they would see who I was or because I wanted Mm -hmm. to be able to, to drink the way that I was without judgment. But now a little more of that solitude where it's just taking time for myself and reflecting on my life. And, and just, uh, I I love that you said boundaries, you know, setting those boundaries and realizing like, this is something that I need to maintain kind of my mental health. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it, and it's really funny because it's really scary. And I think that's something that's not talked about enough in early sobriety is when you are alone. And in my case, I had, um, moved out of, you know, my relationship, I moved, I moved out and got my own place and, And all of a sudden, here I am. Not only am I having big changes, and I'm heartbroken, but I'm bloody sober through this. Like, how do you how do you do that? My answer was always to drink. Something good happened, you drink. Something bad happened, you for sure drink. And all of a sudden, here you are, and you're you know you're by yourself, and you're left with none of your vices. Those are really scary, dark times. And I don't know what vice I have, except I sat through them. And I meditated, I, I, I used as many tools as I could, I read a lot, and I listened to podcasts. And it just over time, I just got stronger. And I think I was able, it was so healthy for me to be able to feel those things and navigate through them. And it was such a freeing feeling, you know, that all of a sudden, that fear of, it's so rewarding now when something bad happens, I don't think about going to drink. It's not that it never happens because yeah. I still think, geez, ugh, man, I know that, you know, I would love to just have a drink, but I know what that looks like for me. I played my tape forward quite nicely, <laughs> quite yeah. easily. I can see that, but yeah, in the beginning, when you, when you're sitting alone and you're feeling all those emotions and you go through, you know, maybe a loss of job or a death, which I also went through in the first year, um, a relationship that, Ultimately was ending, those are all really tough things to go through, and then not drinking was was really scary, but it was also amazing.
2: yeah, you're right, that is that that's a lot to take in on the first year, but it sounds like you've like you created a routine for yourself and like in conjunction with having the support of a, a community, also like getting into a book or or meditating or or like having those practices in place. Yeah. You, you build those sober muscles and it's like, like life is going to keep happening, happening. We're going to keep having experiences, but if we, if we can believe in ourselves or surround ourselves with people who will believe in us, like we, we can get through all of that stuff. And uh, challenging as it may be, we we don't have to drink through it.
1: Yeah. And, and, and power comes from that, you know, eventually there you get, that's, that's another thing. I just didn't expect with sobriety is how much better my mental health got in my my boundaries, my personal boundaries, what I would allow in my life and what I wouldn't, it just changed. It just, I just simply would not allow things to happen that used to happen. (laughs) And I I didn't see that coming. I I really didn't see that coming. I, I forgot how strong I was. Actually, I forgot how strong of a person I was. I, I, I felt like, um, I, I just become so weak and, and that was it. That was still in there and yeah. i found that out through sobriety for sure is like i can do this i can do anything that I, and I i never had that mindset while i was actively drinking
2: i love that attitude natasha before we do the rapid fire i just want to ask if you could just share like how how have your relationships changed in the last year both if you want to touch on it with your with your son and then with friends or coworkers just what do some of those dynamics look like now versus, you know, a year and a half ago?
1: Yeah. So my relationship with my son has improved immensely. He was very much concerned with my drinking. Angry, actually, is what he was. So he's super proud of me. I mean, he he knows the date. He knows the month. And he texts me all the time. Hey, proud of you on the 24th of the month and things like that. My relationship with him, um, just the fact that he can count on me. I think is a huge a huge thing because for many years I wasn't dependable, and so that's been fantastic. I lost a lot of friends through this journey, but looking back, the the friends that I lost, and you know, no animosity, nothing bad happened. Just naturally progression. We just don't hang out with them anymore. I'm okay with losing those ones. They're still living that same sort of um, you know drinking, still a heavy part of their life. That doesn't work for me. So it's that those relationships that ended, they make sense to me and I'm at peace with them. But my core group of friends have been so supportive to me and all of them give me the feedback that I only found out once I got sober, how worried they were about me. You know, I find out now that they had made calls to my mom going like, whoa, we're really worried about Natasha's drinking. I I didn't realize the havoc that I was or the worry I was creating rather on my friends. and so. Now, when we do talk about it, all my friends are just so happy that they have me back, because now our conversations are so much more meaningful, and I'm so much more present, and I'm not constantly crying, and woe is me, my life sucks, and everything's everybody else's fault, and they see the accountability in me now, and they see, they see that I'm happy genuinely. So there's, across the board, been huge improvements, huge improvements at work. I actually signed an offer today. So it's an exciting day, um, which is a huge progression in my career with a company I've been wanting to get on with for a long time. You know, and these are things that just would not have happened a year ago. So in every way, my relationships have improved. And in fact, my relationship with my partner is a work in progress. He too has—I um, guess—he's probably getting to close to sixty days now. So mm-hmm. on his own, had decided that um, alcohol was no longer serving him either, and so he's he's working his journey in sobriety. And who knows what will happen there for for us? But definitely ditching the booze in all aspects of every relationship in my life has been nothing but positive.
2: I love it. You know, a, a common fear is that we're gonna, that we're gonna lose friendships. And, and I, I love the way that you phrase it. There's not, there's not necessarily bad blood. You know, there's a lot of people who just kind of departed my life as well. And it's, it's our interests just, we're no longer aligned and like, that's okay. I'm not, I think in real time it can, it can feel painful, but Mm -hmm. we're not friends with everybody we've met. In our life, like Scott, who I hung out with in fifth grade, like that guy's not coming over for dinner. I don't, I don't know where he's at. Yeah, you know, yeah,
1: yeah, like, yeah.
2: life goes on. But what's beautiful is that the people who who have stuck around are, you know, like those are our people, and yeah. and we we find out who they are. And that's no animosity towards anybody else, but a tremendous amount of love for the ones that do stick around.
1: Yeah, and I find that a lot of the ones that maybe didn't stick around too are perhaps having um, the own, their own thoughts about the way that they're drinking. Cause you can make some, you can make a lot of people really uncomfortable when you stop drinking, you know, you yeah. stop doing any other illicit drug and get a big pat on the back. You tell people you don't drink. And often you looked at like you have two heads, like what, mm-hmm. but the people that have a lot of questions for you and ask and press, instead of just saying, cool, bro, do you want a bubbly water? You know, yeah. the ones that ask a lot of questions, they're typically wondering about themselves. And so, A lot of my friends that were like, wow, you're really doing this, hey, like you're never going to drink again. Those people sort of shifted away. But I know just from conversations that those people too are unhappy with the level they're drinking and they're aware of it. They're just not quite ready to make the change or don't want to, or whatever the case may be. But me making that change, I think for a lot of them is, it's almost kind of intimidating. I'm not that. Person to go drinking with anymore, and they probably Mm -hmm. feel judged, even though I'm not within themselves. They probably feel like, Oh, I can't be mean. Natasha's no longer into this, the funds out of it for them. So it was, it it felt very natural the way that I lost people looking back now. But yeah, sitting through that initially while it was happening was pretty painful for sure.
2: You know, that's another push. And this is not, not a push for, for AA or Cafe RE or like whatever the case may be, but another push for um for community is just to have those those people who are on the journey with us that understand Mm -hmm. to lean into because some of you know some of these experiences are hard but
1: yeah
2: what you know what we're left with now like the people in my life now and it sounds like the people in your life as well sounds like an amazing group of folks i'm very Mm -hmm. glad that you have them
1: yeah thank
2: you all right natasha this time is screamed by but we're at rapid fire Are you ready?
1: Yes, sir. All
2: right, sister, in 30 to 60 seconds. Number one, what is your biggest fear as you were thinking about quitting drinking?
1: My biggest fear was thinking that I just wasn't going to be fun anymore. I just wasn't going to be having as good of a time and as fun and entertaining as I once was.
2: And I think you and Vetter and hiking bingo would prove that wrong immediately. Absolutely.
1: Just ask the just ask the blue hair bus that pulls up.
2: <laughs> I love it. What is a positive that you didn't expect in your life without alcohol?
1: My mental health. I I wasn't. Uh, I never thought about dropping boobs for mental health. I I truly didn't. It was more just. Um, I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. But I didn't realize how sick I had become mentally, mm-hmm. and I had no idea what it felt like to have my confidence back in healthy boundaries and really start putting work into myself. I'm an entirely different person for the better, um, mentally stronger and always working on that. But um, my mental health was absolutely what I didn't expect to be imp- to improve as much as I did. Yeah.
2: What a gift three. What is your go-to alcohol free drink?
1: Well, I love bubbly waters. I'll be honest, I I don't know how I feel about a lot of the non-alcoholic beers. And I think that's because a lot of people have told me that some find them triggering. And so there's a little bit of judgment that surrounds that for myself. I wasn't a big beer drinker. Like I said, I was very fancy. I was into the wine. So like in Nashville, for example, I loved having a non-alcoholic Heineken Zero in my hand. I felt like nobody was asking me any questions. I just felt part of it. I got, you know, my beer in my hand. Um, So on a hot sunny day, something like that, or a boating, it is nice every now and then to have a non-alcoholic beer, but more often times than not, I'm just a uh, bubbly flavored soda water gal. Do
2: you have a favorite brand? There is a right answer.
1: Um, Yeah, bubbly, Uh... bubbly. That's, yeah,
2: <laughs>
1: unfortunately, that is the wrong answer. wrong answer. It's
2: Lacroix, but
1: Lacroix, Lacroix. Um, no, you know what? They're tougher to get here. To be honest with you, like they're they're almost like only in specialty stores. They're not at our regular supermarket here, like the Buble or Buble, however you say it is. So I haven't had a lot of them, but I'll have to have to try more.
2: Get a hold of Trudeau. Fix this embargo shit we got going on. You guys need to get some Lacroix
1: yeah figure it out
2: <laughs> probably not a lacroix embargo i don't know what that <laughs> means but <laughs> natasha what is your plan and sobriety moving forward
1: my plan in sobriety moving forward well i'm gonna you know uh absolutely stay on course keep myself busy never forget how it felt um, when i was actively drinking because i think that's a that's a big mistake so I constantly remind myself of the work I'm putting in, why I'm doing it and staying on course. And it sounds really cliche and corny, but it's to hopefully be able to help other people be able to experience the same feeling. I, I, I use, I say gift, cause that's really, that's really what it feels like. So I'm pretty active on a few different communities of offering as much support and advice as I can share my story to hope I can help others along the way.
2: I love it. Uh, What is a technique that you use when you find yourself with a craving?
1: So we talked about it briefly, but playing that tape forward, there's a, you know, there's a couple sayings things that, that I really stick to. One of them being, I've never regretted not drinking. So there's never been a time I've woken up the next day and gone "Oh shit, man. I wish I really went to the wall last night. That's never ever happened. Whereas the alternative of feeling crappy after doing it is very common. So never regretted not drinking. And I truly believe that there's nothing a drink will make better. And there's absolutely nothing it won't make worse. And if, if I get real with that, that that is true 100% through and through. It just simply does not, no matter what the situation, I am well aware it is not going to help me. My brain cannot convince me of that. It just won't. It will make it worse. And so I play that tape forward of how many times i tried to have one drink and yep. i had many so
2: the research has been done yes uh, what parting piece of guidance can you give to our listeners who are in early recovery or thinking about getting sober
1: you know you don't have to hit a rock bottom something terrible doesn't have to happen if you're starting to feel as though you're questioning your drinking you're drinking more than you like You don't need a reason nothing is going to change that you're really worried about as far as you know if you're still going to be funny if you're still going to have a good time if you can still be social if you're going to be able to perform your job as well they're all once you get through them you look back and they're all unrealistic fears They, they truly truly are and something terrible just doesn't have to happen it's okay to just decide you've had enough, and be brave and make that make that decision. And um, you will be so glad you did. Every and I mean every aspect of your life will improve. And um, you know, get yourself some some good quitlet. Join join some groups. Cafe R.E. being one of them. Um, there's lots out there. There's lots of support out there. And definitely, it's it's never too late and yeah nothing terrible has to happen just do it for yourself
2: good word sister and last but certainly not least what is your favorite you might need to ditch the booze if line
1: you know i kind of thought about this a lot because i wanted to be i wanted to come out here and be tenant. have a funny one there but the reality of it is is if you're hiding it that was a real shift for me if you're hiding it so if you're hiding it at all, if you've got it in a dis- disclosed glass, if you're keeping it in a certain area of your home, if there's ever a time that you are hiding a drink that you're having or pretending that it's not alcohol, it's time to ditch the booze. You're already questioning if you have a problem. And most likely, you absolutely do. So if if there's any hiding there, definitely ditch the booze.
2: That's really good. I talked to uh, a friend yesterday who's... Uh, she's going through some stuff and that was what she brought up. She, she said, she's, you know, she's been in and out of this journey for a bit. And, and she goes, I'm lying. And she goes, my, my partner doesn't know, but, but I'm lying about it. And it was that like hiding in the cup and worrying about if the empties have been hidden or thrown out. And it Mm -hmm. just, it, creates that's it's that, that lie that's, I mean, hiding is a lie. That's a lot more uncomfortable word, but it's the truth. Uh, it it creates separation. So Mm
1: -hmm. yeah, absolutely.
2: I want to thank you for coming on, for being out loud and sharing your story. Uh, I really believe that you're going to help a lot of people and, and I appreciate you.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And, um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully we help some people today.
2: We're doing good stuff. All right, sister, be well.
1: Thanks, you too.
2: Recovery Elevator, thanks for listening. And thank you, Natasha, for coming on the show. You're going to help a lot of people today. Well, Ari, this week it happened. In North Dakota, we got our first meaningful snowfall. It might have been snowing, but at least it was cold and windy too. Only six more months until it starts to warm up again. Since late July, I've been working on this project of getting my garage in order. We've lived in this house for 12 years, and in that time, we've accumulated a lot of stuff. Household tools, yard tools, things for camping and cooking, bikes, games, and a lot of junk, too. I finally hit a tipping point. Why am I working around this setup? Always moving stuff from one spot to another. It drove us crazy. I can happily report that yesterday I was able to bring our snow blowers, and yes, that's multiple, inside, and we are set up and ready to go. The new cabinets are hung, the toolboxes are organized, the shelving is up. Things are nice. If my wife calls while I'm at work and needs painter's tape, it's in the tote labeled painting supplies. Need to drill a hole? The drills and chargers are in this drawer, all the drill bits are in the one right next door. I changed the oil on three of our vehicles in the past month and it felt so good to just be able to go to the spot where I keep things, grab them, and to have counter space to lay things out. It was amazing. Alright, so here's the recovery tie-in. At my first 12-step meeting, I heard someone share that we get comfortable swimming in our own crap. That hit me. In addiction, and in my garage for that matter, I was so used to the chaos. I became paralyzed at the thought of making a change. I tried to see how I was going to get from my current mess to this nice little life and it seemed like too much, so I just keep doing the same thing. But at that tipping point, I took the opportunity and started the change. It was uncomfortable. In my garage, I had to find a storage unit to keep everything while I was remodeling. I had to figure out how I wanted things to look and what I needed to store everything. In my recovery, I had to abandon those old coping mechanisms and habits. I had to find a space to learn how to walk through life in a new way and find people to support me while I was doing it. It was tough, but I'd see these glimmers of hope and I knew that I had to keep moving forward. When it felt like too much, I just focused on one little thing at a time and trusted others who had been through the same things. Eventually, all those little things added up. In my recovery today, I still have those moments where I feel overwhelmed. I can get bogged down with things and have a rough day, but I have those experiences to draw on. Because I stayed the course before, I know now that I will make it through. I've been able to work through so much and I've had people alongside me to help me in those hard times. I know that by focusing on the moment in front of me, I can stay sober today. Whatever struggle you might be facing, I want to encourage you to stick with it. Don't get lost thinking about how far away the goal might be. Put your attention on the task at hand today. We're the only ones that can do this RE, but we don't have to do it alone. I love you guys.